this is the Gartner Sales Podcast. A lot of times what we do is we're deploying a piece of technology, but we're not updating the go-to-market strategy. We're not updating the training. We're not changing the people we hire. We're not changing the way we manage. We're just realizing that we get a huge efficiency gain, but we, we, we tend to go a little bit quiet on the effectiveness component of what we're doing. Hello and welcome everyone to episode 36 of the Gartner Sales Podcast. I'm Doug Boucher, a VP and analyst for Gartner Sales Practice. And as always, I'm very glad to be joined by my co-host, Betsy Gregory Hosmer, Senior Director of Research in Gartner's Sales Practice. Good morning, everyone. For those new to this podcast, we are here to bring insights into what's going on inside high-performing sales organizations and talk with guests about what organizations are doing to improve their sales organization's performance. And today's topic is innovation in sales. The past few years have seen an incredible digital transformation within sales organizations. And for those able to attend our CSO conference last week, I'm sure you got a sense of how quickly some organizations are moving to take advantage of the emerging innovations in the sales and revenue tech space. And we're seeing investments there, right, Betsy? That we are. The research tells us that sales technology is front and center in budget conversations. We recently asked sales leaders about their planned budget changes, and sales tech topped the list, tying with digital marketing, for budget increases in 2023, with 76% of sales leaders planning for a budget increase. This beat out sales ops, sales enablement, and field sales personnel investments. Our research also tells us that the majority of sales leaders think sales tech is important, right, to reaching their revenue targets. They see that this is the path forward, but far, far fewer are satisfied with their current tech stacks. So, Doug, this is making us ask, what's happening? Why are these powerful technology tools so frequently failing to reach its potential impact in a sales work? And there's the rub, right? I mean, we can visualize the power of technology to improve and accelerate sales activity, but we often don't see the productivity gains we'd expect. But today, we are very fortunate to be talking about that very issue with our guest, Dr. Howard Dover, author of the recently published book, The Sales Innovation Paradox. Welcome, Howard. It's great to have you on the podcast today. Great to be here, Doug and Betsy. Howard, before we dive into your research and kind of the key points of the book, can you tell us a little bit about you know where you work and what inspired you to write this book? I work at the University of Texas at Dallas, and I have been the center director there since we founded the center when I arrived about 11 years ago. And in this process, I've witnessed hundreds of companies come to UTD and try to hire a lot of salespeople. And I've watched a lot of sales technology get deployed. And it kind of left me with one fundamental question, which, which was this, why are we not seeing the gains of technology adoption that we see in almost every other field? And to give a little bit of context to that, prior to getting my PhD at at the University of Texas at Dallas, almost 20 years ago now, I was a a systems analyst and built computer systems for the state of Oregon where I automated business processes and saw massive efficiency gains um, through the deployment of technology on multiple projects. So, you know, I have the background in deploying and creating technology solutions uh, for productivity gains. And so I I was seeing us deploy this a lot in sales. And yet, instead of seeing the efficiency gains, I noticed that we were hiring more people somehow. And that just put me on a journey to say, why why is this happening? 
I think we're seeing that in a, a huge number of our client conversations as well. The tendency to move directly to what we need is more salespeople, even in the face of all of this change. So tell us more specifically about what the sales innovation paradox is. Can you shed some more light there? Well, specifically during the last five years or so, we've seen a huge increase in the amount of money spent on technology. You probably have the data better than I do because you keep track of it. But during the the time that I did the research, we were nearing almost a $2,000 spend per headcount on technology. And yet when we look at that technology, it, it has increased our capacity to do the job by about anywhere from 10 times to 100 times, depends on the tech, tech you're actually deploying. And yet at the same time, we increase the number of people doing the job by a substantial margin. For example, when we just take the sales development role, most of the technology is top of funnel technology that gives us that increased ability to get the job done. Between the years of 2018 to 2023, we saw a 13x increase in the number of people doing the role, while the technology increased the capacity of getting the role done by easily double to 10 times. Once again, 100 times if you look at um, some of the assisted dialing technologies. So instead of reducing headcount, we actually extremely increased the number of people in the aggregate doing the job. And so there was the paradox. Why were we doing this? Um, there were no efficiency gains. Instead, we doubled down on both technology and human capacity at the same time. I mean, that's fascinating. I think we, we're all seeing this. And, and just for fun, we, we do analyze that. And it does vary by the number of sellers you have. Obviously, the more sellers you have, the cost per seller goes down. But we're still in that twelve to $1,300 a year range for tech. And I think that it's fascinating to hear you when you say kind of, these are little productivity gains we talk about. When I hear you know 10x, 100x, and then to still see a rise of sellers there that something must be going on. And I, and I hear it from CSOs all the time when I say, when, when they talk about, Doug, you know, 10 years ago, these budgets were a million, million to a year. We get this 10x, 100x gain. Guess what? They're still only selling, you know, a million, million, two, million, five a year. So what's going on? So how do companies kind of overcome this situation where it seems like they're getting massive productivity gains, but they're not seeing the results they would expect? Well, I think the first challenge is we often haven't changed the motion. So we've deployed the technology, but we haven't changed the motion. The best way to describe this, for those who are familiar with the Iron Man movie, is this idea that we put people into a technology and yet we still do the same thing. So if you were to think about Iron Man and you say you put an, a, a person in an Iron Man suit and you say, okay, now run and jump. And they run faster and they jump higher, but what you really should be saying to them is, hey, you can fly now. And unless you teach them the new motion of flying, you have only gotten a marginal increase, yet you could have had an exponential increase in the performance. I like that analogy. Me too. I'm reminded that our listeners are from sales organizations that are at very different stages of transformation. And in your book, Howard, you draw a linkage between the modern tools and the modern motions and methods. And I think reflected in that, you have to learn to fly. Can you give us a, a bigger overview of what those modern methods may be? Well, I think some of this has been discovered. And I think, I'm, you know, I'm talking to Gartner and, and let's be real. I think part of this, we have to figure that out. 
Um, I think we're in a process or a time of discovery and determining what is and what are the new motions. And at UT Dallas, we've been experimenting for several years about, okay, how do we do things differently? And I, I think sales organizations would like a set method, a light, they'd like a set way to train and go to market. But I think we are literally in a process of discovery. Often what we see is just the wrong deployment of the technology. And what do you mean by, what do you mean by the wrong deployment of the technology? Well, once again, I'm going to use an analogy and then and tie it back. I, I think the best analogy was during the early stages of the disc plow in the United States, there was this ability that you could put a 32 disc on the back of a tractor and plow 32 rows of crops at the same time. And this particular technology was deployed in, so in the Four Corners region uh, near Texas, and Oklahoma. And in that area, they just didn't have a lot of deep soil. The soil was, it was prairie land. So the prairie grass held what little soil was there close to the ground. What they didn't know when they were plowing the fields the old way, they didn't experience the loss of topsoil. But when they did the disc plow, they, they did something they didn't know they were doing is they didn't cut deep enough with the tool. And in the process, what happened is they caused the Dust Bowl and it became the, the greatest ecological disaster in our country's history. So what did the farmers do? Well, they doubled down. So they did double crops in a year because they weren't harvesting as much. So they thought, well, if we can't get as much, we're going to do it again. So I actually worsened things. And unfortunately, in that particular case, people died. And it took years for it to come back. And so a lot of times what we do is we're deploying a piece of technology, but we're not, we're not updating the go-to-market strategy. We're not updating the training. We're not changing the people we hire. We're not changing the way we manage. We're just realizing that we get a huge efficiency gain, but we, we, we tend to go a little bit quiet on the effectiveness component of what we're doing. I mean... Howard, that is that is fantastic. And we're going to talk about AI in a moment, but I think you've just come up with a great analogy of some of the conversations folks are having right now in terms of we perceive this as being a efficiency gain, but here's an example of where without some thoughtfulness behind how we deploy, you know, the plow and the discs, it could have an impact. I, I want to come back to the new motion piece, which is as we enable our sellers to be more productive at what they do. They don't know what they don't know. They're going to be running and jumping, right? Maybe one figures out they can fly. Is that maybe where we're looking inside our organization as those that accidentally jumped and flew and then now they're flying and, and succeeding? Or do we really need to look at other areas of our organization inside sales enablement, sales operations, sales strategy for them to identify the new motions that would impact sales performance? Where do we look to find those new motions? So I, I think the answer is both. I think when I when I went in and interviewed Microsoft, uh, I think it's over five years ago, and tried to get to how they were accomplishing what they were accomplishing, um, they described a combination of a top-down and a bottom-up approach. So they had a they had great data. They had operations analysts. They had data analysts that were looking at the system for efficiency, challenges, and effectiveness opportunities. But they also had an open format that said, 
anybody could get on the queue. So, for example, the the site lead at that during that interview told me. So the other day, one of the one of the reps said, "Why do we have to open three screens and click five times when this could all be incorporated into one screen and and one click?" And then the operations people took a look and said, well, how many times is this happening? Well, they found out it was happening almost every hour for every person on the team. And so it got into the queue as a top priority and within 30 days it disappeared and the efficiency was developed. Now, a lot of people would shoot back and say, well, that was Microsoft. And that's true because they did have assigned um, technology assets that would automate whatever they needed to automate to help increase the efficiency of the team. But the other thing is that sometimes, you know, Doug, I want to come back to a comment you made. You know, we need to think about, are we creating the same ecological disaster? Well, I, I think the answer is yes. If, if, you look at, if you look at the Gartner research, buyers don't really find salespeople that useful anymore, do they? Yeah. I mean, that's the, it's definitely their preference they're, they we're seeing a growing, growing preference away from interacting with the seller. That's correct. And therein lies a whole branch of research <laughs> right there. Yes. And so you, you have to ask, you have to begin to ask the question, is it because they don't value the salesperson or is it because they've been disc plowed? And in the book, I, I posit a, a concept that I believe that the buyer has behaviorally shifted away from the sales innovation. Everybody's plowed those fields. So now that the difference between the field and a customer is the customer gets to change behavior. The field can't do anything. Well, the buyer can. The buyer can simply begin to disengage and develop pr- protective mechanisms, defensive mechanisms, which they have done to avoid what the seller is doing and to diminish the amount of time and resources they devote to listening to somebody with a disc plow. Excellent. Yeah, no, and I think that's a great lead into to the kind of the next question we want to ask, which is, as, as we're talking about this, we talk about the sales innovation, you bring up a great point, Howard, that it's not just the seller's use of the innovation or the organization, it's the, it's the buyer's perception of what's coming at them, but at the same time, buyers are more digital too. I and mean, buyers are, they want innovation, right? They want innovation to help build confidence in their decisions. So when we talk about this innovation, let's now talk a little bit about the human part, the people part. You know, they, they say technology is easy, but people are hard. And in one of your chapters, you talk about human capital inertia. Can you tell us what you see there and how you're seeing that feed into the paradox? Yeah, I think that's the real challenge is you, even if you can get an organization to move forward with modern motions, which um, modern motions really do require. So coming back to the, a little bit more on the theme of the modern motion is modern motion is probably doing more efficient touch point, more efficient communication, which is better informed and more precisely hit. And so this this reduces a couple of KPIs that a lot of people love to watch, which let's think about top of funnel for a moment because it's the easiest one to play with. We have a lot of KPIs at the top of the funnel and um, we, we like how many touches and the cadences and right all these different things we really because we like to we like to deploy them, we can measure them and then we can measure effectiveness against that and efficiency against that. So we really, really like activities. We like to drive activities. And so 
if you develop a more efficient way, and there's a, there's a great example of that, which I'll hold if you'd like it. If I came up with a more effective way of getting the job done, but it lowers the efficiency perception. Well, if I am not a modern leader, I'm going to say, oh, I've got a deviation from the strategy or from the methodology. This person isn't performing the same level of activity, but yet they're more effective. Now, this can be highly disruptive. And so a, a sales manager who's a modern thinker says, well, the only way I'm going to move forward is to find these kind of disruptive behaviors, study them, and if possible, I can begin to let it infiltrate the rest of the org. But if I'm not a modern seller, I go, you're not in compliance and you're not following the model. And now I've got discord within my ranks and I can't stand for it. You know, your KPIs are off and, and, and it, it becomes a compliance framework to a methodology. And that's what we see in a classic. And that then builds this inertia. And, and I don't, Doug and Betsy, I don't think it's like intentional. I think it really is around this. I'm valued because I can drive this process, these people, this army, and that's why you hired me. So I, I develop my power and my, my confidence and my experience that you hired me for was based off this ability to roll this machine out. And yet you're breaking my machine. And when you break my machine, I now don't know that I can lead this organization forward, which then creates this inertia. And I don't think it's intentional. I just think it happens. Sure. I think, I mean, you can make the parallel so many ways of, of how this, these last four or five years have been so disruptive in this space that we may be creating a situation where it makes it very challenging for folks that didn't grow up in that innovation or understand that innovation to even identify the new motion or even change. Can I dive in with a quick question there? Howard, I'm curious if because of those last few years that Doug just mentioned, uh, the just sort of seismic changes in work, the workforce across the board, do you see, is that resulting in a little bit more of a sort of management open mind in terms of letting the those who play outside the regular rules experiment outside the regular rules, like a, a more willingness to accept it along the same lines that we've all been kind of forced to accept telework, for example, across the board? Well, once again, I think it, it's tough because I'm talking to Gartner because you have data on a lot of this. So you probably know the answer to that question better than I do in the in the current realm, right? But if I were to go with anecdotal evidence, which is dangerous, um, I, I would say that what we've experienced is the the sales enablement wave came at, at a simultaneous, if not a little bit preemptive to the technology wave. And in the sales enablement wave, we really developed a lot of structure within methodologies and kind of ways, go-to-market strategies. And so we, we actually drove a lot of compliance and rigidity within sales orgs. In, in my, once again, this is anecdotal and conjecture, but based off observational conversations with a lot of sales enablement people, we drove not an innovation concept, we, we drove a let's get this organized and moving into a compliance framework. And so I, I think that moment really didn't prepare us for the technology moment. There's just been, you know, starting in November last year, just an explosion in the generative AI space, you know, 
precipitated by ChatGPT, right? OpenAI, lots, lots of large language models out there. But specifically, this one has almost brought this consumerization, consumerization of the capabilities of generative AI. And, and I was talking to the number two at a you know decently well-known tech company a few weeks back about this very topic, because certainly they've integrated it into the work they do. They are absolutely now telling recruiting that when they hire folks, they are looking for capabilities in this area because to your point, they feel like they don't need the 10 that they hired to do something now, right? If they hire one who's got real talent and skills and knowledge in leveraging AI, and in this case, generative AI, that they can get a lot more done. That's just one example of how AI could be impacting the selling landscape. But how are for your perspective, given what's in the news right now and what's happening, how do you see sales leaders and sales organizations now shifting with this this kind of generative AI capability that's that their support teams and their sellers can use? So once again, if we if we look at the market in in two segments, we look at world class. If you're world class leaders versus the the classic sales machine majority. So if you look at and you were to predict on where this is going to go, what we're going to see is AI, the, the new generative AI is going to be deployed the same way all other technology is going to be deployed, which is we're going to look for the efficiency gain. And so we're going to kind of double down on the paradox again. We're not, we're not going to harness it. We're going to harness its efficiency. World class is going to figure out how to get effectiveness and then efficiency. And that's that's one of the changes. And when, when I go in and look at different sales orgs and, and kind of see what's going on and, and what's, what's causing the inertia, what's causing either the productivity gain or the lack of productivity gain, inevitably, it's a matter of looking at that issue of, was this a work towards the effectiveness of the person or was it simply a quick dive at the efficiency? Because I can see a productivity gain by deploying technology very quickly by simply doing it faster. If I could hit 100 people before and I could hit 1,000 people today. Now, those of us who with, with mathematical minds say, well, that's a 10x. But 10x is a scary thing because now if you think about a classic, there's a lot of questions that start popping up in there. What's the overarching capacity? Is there, is there a boundary? of the human capacity to be able to do 10 more deals, 10 times the deals? That's a good question. I'm, I'm in some preliminary stages of doing some research with a mental health expert out of Canada on this. But inevitably what we will see is actually, now I cherry pick the deals that will go fast. I mean, if I'm a salesperson, right, you didn't train me any differently. You said run faster. So I said, wow, cool. You just increase what I can pick from the field I'm going to grab my quota plus a little bit, and I'm going to go get another job. But there's a cause and effect here as well, right? In other words, that now that the sellers can do 10x more, buyers are going to change their behavior, right? And react, right? In terms of because it's too noisy, it's too much. So I think you know this this whole landscape is is going to evolve. And those, to your point, those that stay on top of it and figure out where you know what is working are probably in the best position to take advantage of it. Well, the beauty is, and, and this is where, once again, harnessing technology in an agile way and really being modern with your motion really pays off. We tell our students that that's going on. We say, listen, if you, 
if you could deploy this technology and everybody deploys the technology, it isn't about deploying the technology that's going to make the difference because eventually we're going to, we're going to have a buyer reaction. And when the buyer starts to react that actually we're going to drop, we're going to have a drop off in, in the overall productivity gain. We're going to get back to a norm. The issue is who can do this in a way that it, it actually enhances the buyer's experience and gets me more relevant. And I think that's when you were talking earlier about what are the modern motions. I think the modern motions are not so much automation. It's more about augmentation. How do I augment that person in the suit? How do I give them the intelligence? Another analogy I, I used to make is there's a, there's a, when I did keynotes, there's this castle in Austria called Hochholsterwitz. And for those that don't speak German, it's called Hochholsterwitz because there's no translation. That castle has 19 gates that will kill you if you try to approach and you weren't invited. At the end of the, the moment, you could be in the inner sanctum of Hochholsterwitz, which is a beautiful garden area. And, you know, this beautiful, it has a church there. And, and so if you have an Ironman suit, you could fly up to the top and go right into the garden which is great. That's the use of the technology to be more efficient. But you know what? When you arrive, you better think about what to say. Because if you show up with the same message as the person who's been destroying all the gates and damaging, causing all the collateral damage, and you show up at the top and you go, oh, I've conquered you, versus I just flew in, I just wiped out all your defensive mechanisms, and if I use the same moment this now if you, i pulled in and i said by the way do you know up on the south hill there's somebody trying to conquer you and up on the north hill there's someone else trying to conquer you i decided i'd bring in i flew in some tea and crumpets because i heard you like british you know you're a little british bent to you if that's all right and i'd like to talk to you I, you know it's once again it's it's really trying to understand that's the motion right it maybe i could use some ai tools to understand your personality profile i could use some other intelligence that that the that the suit gives me the suit can give me the intelligence to say this is a new keeper of the the court who has only two months of experience or this is a keeper of the court that had 10 years experience and this is their personality profile and type this is their role in the org and i'm going to come in with context in that moment i'm going to arrive at the moment but i'm going to arrive with context and i'm going to modify my motion I'm going to be agile to that moment. But then, Doug and Betsy, it gets back to, are we hiring the right people to do this? Or are we over-rotating with the 90% of the market on hiring Neanderthals who simply know how to cause collateral damage? Okay, you win the best analogies I've heard in a while. These are great and very effective to the message. I love that idea. I, I've had a few years to practice, Betsy. <laughs> <laughs> Put to excellent use. I love it. Um, so before we wrap up, I uh, want to leave our listeners with some, you know, some steps forward. We covered a ton of ground and obviously, you know, you've got years of research and, and a book that we're speaking to. So you have so much to share. If you could give our listeners, you know, three activities to be doing now to help move in the direction of solving the sales innovation paradox, what would those activities be? Well, I, I'm going to give you the fun two, and then I'll I'll try to think of, of of legitimate ones. Number one, I think you need to read the book. Number two, I think you need to talk to your Gartner experts. I you know I I love Gartner. I, I, the predecessor was CEB for me, um, but 
you know, you have to, you, you have to tap into the fact that new information is coming available. It, you can't keep building the same machine. So you, you have to gather a lot of intelligence, um, and look at the people who are studying the emotional change and I'm not trying to be a Gartner commercial, but I really do value what you guys do that if you're not plugging into Gartner, you need to plug into a source that's watching where the ball is moving. More importantly, it's it's the hockey analogy, right? It's not where the puck is. You got to know where the puck's moving to. And if it isn't Gartner, it needs to be somebody. You need to be tapping into where we're headed, not where we're at. So that's that's item number one. Item number two is you really need to take an assessment of probably your organizational structure is causing inertia, which will keep you from being able to do a whole lot. So you need to be assessing internally the degree to which your organization can adapt to change. Is it agile? Is it fixed? Are we are we more built off manufacturing principles and KPIs that are structured and compliance versus agile and willing to be broken? Um, so that's another component piece that we kind of need to assess. And then I really do think people have to ask the fundamental question is, do we have the right people on the bus? And that's a really challenging thing. First off, we all know that we're in a moment in which everybody's getting a smaller bus. Um, we, we, we over-rotated, we over-hired in sales. We, we kind of had a bubble, which is a whole nother podcast and moment to talk about the bubble that we, we just experienced in sales where we over-hired, not everybody, but definitely the tech sector, um, really had a party and the punch just got taken away from them and they're really in trouble as their bubble popped. But I think it, there's a more fundamental question than the number of people on the bus. It's the composition of the org and who's on the bus. If we don't have disruptors who are agile, willing to learn, willing to adapt, understanding the buyer's constantly changing, then we have to do one of two things. We have to train them to become disruptors or we have to go find them. So we have to create them or we have to find them. And and so that's a that's where we're at. And I don't know that we have a lot of those out in the field. At UTD, we try to create them every day. And our students have multiple offers when they come out if they become disruptors because they think differently, they're operating differently. They will they will push the org in a completely different direction. Or they will leave you because the management can't stand the innovation that the disease can really be harnessed in this moment, but it is going to scare a lot of the institutional knowledge and structure that a lot of people feel comfortable with. So I think you got to get uncomfortable with the reality that we're in a world that's changing. Make sure you're tapping into the right people, getting the knowledge you need. Look at your structure. Are you really based off manufacturing principles that create rigidity, not agility? And then you got to have the right people. And I don't think it's the people you've always hired. Howard, thank you again for spending time with us today. It's been an awesome conversation. I want to ask before we leave, uh, we always ask our, our, our guests, what's the last book you read and was it any good? Would you recommend it? So I, I'm currently reading, actively reading three right now. And, and the first one, I, I had an ice storm that allowed me to jump into two, that gap selling and... Um, Jolt by uh, Jolt by Matt Dixon, Gap Selling by Keenan. I know Gap Selling has been around for years, but I've just gotten to know Keenan and 
finally decided to dive in. I, I love gap selling. I think it's 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 good for the moment. I love Jolt and and kind of the work that Matt's Matt's doing. And and then the last book is Stolen Focus by Hari, Johan Hari. And I like I like where it's going. Too much narrative for me, but all three of them I'm still reading. And usually for me that's a good sign. I I don't finish books unless they keep me with some good material. So those are the three I'm working on right now. Of course, Sales Innovation Paradox is the one I, I, I read every day, right? Of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so should our listeners. I love it. Uh, Howard, thank you again so much for your time. We really appreciate it. It's been fantastic. And this concludes our podcast for today. I wish we could keep talking because honestly, we could cover a lot more ground Listeners, we hope you found it valuable. I know that I, Doug and I did. If you like our conversations that we have, give us a like and consider subscribing. We welcome your feedback and invite you to contact us on LinkedIn with suggestions for future shows, which I've actually had somebody start to do that, which I appreciate. Thank you so much. We would really love to hear from you. Each podcast focuses on issues sales leaders face today, and we are available on iTunes and Spotify. Until next time, this is Betsy and Doug saying thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.